0: Book One, Chapter Three of *The Steam House* by Jules Verne, translated by Agnes D. Kingston. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recorded by Vorbel in Norwalk, Connecticut. Book One, Chapter Three: The Sepoy Revolt. Some account must now be given of the state of India at the period when the events of this story took place and especially it will be necessary to relate the chief circumstances connected with the formidable revolt of the sepoys the honourable east india company called sometimes by the nickname of john company was founded in sixteen hundred in the reign of elizabeth in the midst of a population of two hundred millions inhabiting the sacred land of aryavarta their first title was merely the governor and company of merchants of london trading to the east indies and at their head was placed the duke of cumberland about this time the power of the portuguese which till then had been very great in the indies began to diminish of this the english immediately took advantage and made their first attempt at a political and military administration in the presidency of bengal its capital calcutta to be the center of the new government a french company was founded about the same period under the patronage of colbert and the conflicting interests of the rival companies gave rise to endless contentions, in which, a century later, the names of Dupleix, Bourdonnais, and Count de Lally are distinguished both in successes and reverses. The French were finally compelled to abandon the Carnatic, that portion of the peninsula which comprehends a part of its eastern coast. Lord Clive's brilliant successes having assured the English power in Bengal, Warren Hastings consolidated the empire Clive had founded, and from that time war and conquest went on, till England became master of that vast empire which has been described as not less splendid and more durable than that of Alexander. The company, however, till then all-powerful, began to lose its authority, and in 1784 a bill was passed placing it under the control of government. In 1813 it lost the monopoly of trading to India, and in 1833 the right of trading to China since the establishment of a military force in india the army had always been composed of two distinct contingents european and native the first consisted of british cavalry and infantry regiments and european infantry in service of the company the second of native regulars commanded by english officers there was also artillery which belonged to the company and was european with the exception of a few batteries when lord william bentinck was made governor of madras he introduced some reforms which highly offended the native troops the sepoys were required to clip their mustachios shave their chins and were forbidden to wear their marks of caste a new regulation turban was also ordered for them incited by the sons of tippu sahib this was made the excuse for an outbreak in which the garrison at velour rose against and massacred their officers and about a hundred english soldiers even the sick in the hospital being butchered the English troops quartered at Arcot fortunately arrived in time to stem that rebellion. This, however, showed that a slight cause would at any moment set the natives against their conquerors, and in 1857 imminent peril threatened our eastern empire. The Mohammedans of both sects longed to set themselves free from the British yoke, but could not hope to do so while the Hindu soldiery remained true to their salt. Unhappily, the spark that was needed to inflame their passions was not long in being supplied a suspicion had seized the hindu mind that their religion and caste were in danger that the english had determined that all the natives should become christians they believed that the cartridges for their new enfield rifles were purposely greased with pig's fat so that when they bit off the ends they would be defiled lose caste and be compelled to embrace the christian religion now, in a country where the population renounces even the use of soap, because the fat of either a sacred or unclean animal may enter into its composition, it was found very difficult to enforce the use of cartridges prepared with this substance, especially as they had to be touched with the lips. The government yielded in some degree to the outcry which was made, but it was quite in vain to modify the drill with the rifles, or to assert that the fats in question took no part in the manufacture of the cartridges. Not a sepoy in the army could be reassured or persuaded to the contrary. At this time Lord Canning was at the head of the administration as governor-general. Perhaps this statesman deluded himself as to the extent of the movement. For some years past the star of the United Kingdom had been growing visibly dimmer in the Hindu sky. In 1842 the retreat from Kabul had diminished the prestige of the European conquerors. The attitude of the English army during the Crimean War had not in some instances been such as to sustain its military reputation. The sepoys, therefore, who were well acquainted with all that was happening on the shores of the Black Sea, thought the time had come when a revolt of the native troops would probably be successful. Their minds, already well prepared, were inflamed and excited by the bards, brahmins, and mulvis, who stirred them up by songs and exhortations. At the beginning of the year 1857, whilst the contingent of the British Army was reduced owing to exterior complications, Nana Sahib, otherwise called Don Du Pont, who had been residing near Kanpur, had gone to Delhi and twice to Lucknow, no doubt with the object of provoking the rising prepared so long ago. For, in fact, very shortly after the departure of the Nana, the insurrection was declared on the 24th of February at Berampur the 34th regiment refused the cartridges. In the middle of the month of March, an adjutant was massacred, and the regiment, being disbanded after the punishment of the assassins, carried into the neighboring province's most active elements of revolt. On the 10th of May, at Meerut, a little to the north of Delhi, the 3rd, 11th, and 20th regiments mutinied, killed their colonels and several staff officers, gave up the town to pillage, and then fell back on Delhi. Here the Rajah, a descendant of Timur, joined them. The arsenal fell into their power, and the officers of the 54th Regiment were slaughtered. On the 11th of May, at Delhi, Major Fraser and his officers were pitilessly massacred by the mutineers of Meerut in the very palace of the European Commandant, and on the 16th of May 49 prisoners, men, women, and children, fell under the hatchets of the assassins on the twentieth of may the twenty sixth regiment canton near lahore killed the commandant of the fort and the european sergeant-major the impulse once given to these frightful butcheries it was impossible to stop them on the twenty eighth of may at nurabad many anglo-indian officers fell victims the brigadier commandant with his aide-de-camp and many other officers were murdered in the cantonments of lucknow on the thirtieth of may on the 31st of May, at Bareli in the Rohakund, several officers were surprised and massacred without having time to defend themselves. At Shah Jahanpur, on the same date, were assassinated the collector and a number of officers by the sepoys of the 38th Regiment. And the next day, beyond Barwar, many officers, women and children, who were en route for the station of Shivapur, a mile from Aurangabad, fell victims. In the first days of June, at Bhopal, were massacred a part of the European population, and at Jhansi under the inspiration of the terrible dispossessed Rani, all the women and children who took refuge in the fort were slaughtered with unexampled refinement of cruelty. At Allahabad on the 6th June, eight young ensigns fell by the sepoys' hands. On the 14th of June, two native regiments revolted at Gwalior and assassinated their officers. On the twenty-seventh of June, at Kanpur, expired the first hecatomb of victims, of every age and sex, all shot or drowned, a prelude to the fearful drama which was to take place there a few weeks later. On the first of July, at Holkar, thirty-four Europeans, officers, women and children, were massacred, and the town pillaged and burnt. And on the same day, at Ugao, the colonel and adjutant of the twenty-third regiment were slain. The second massacre at Cawnpore was on the 15th of July. On that day several hundred women and children, amongst them Lady Munro, were butchered with unequalled cruelty by the order of Nana himself, who called to his aid the Mussulman butchers from the slaughterhouses. This atrocious act, and how the bodies were afterwards thrown down a well, is too well known to need further description. On the 26th of September, in Lucknow, many were half cut to pieces, and then thrown still living into the flames. Besides these, in all the towns, and throughout the whole country, there were isolated murders which altogether gave to this mutiny a horrible character of atrocity. To these butcheries the English generals soon replied by reprisals, necessary no doubt, since they did much to inspire terror of the British name among the insurgents, but which were truly frightful. At the beginning of the insurrection, at Lahore, Chief Justice Montgomery and Brigadier Corbett had managed to disarm, without bloodshed, the 8th, 16th, 26th, and 49th native regiments. At Multan, the 62nd and 29th regiments were also forced to surrender their arms, without being able to attempt any serious resistance. The same thing was done at Peshawar to the 24th, 27th, and 51st regiments, who were disarmed by Brigadier S. Colton and Colonel Nicholson just as the rebellion was about to burst. But the officers of the 51st Regiment having fled to the mountains, a price was set on their heads, and all were soon brought back by the hillmen. This was the beginning of the reprisals. A column commanded by Colonel Nicholson attacked a native regiment which was marching toward Delhi. The mutineers were soon defeated and dispersed, and 120 prisoners brought to Peshawar. All were indiscriminately condemned to death, but one out of three only were really executed." Ten cannon were placed on the drilling ground, a prisoner fastened to each of their mouths, and five times were the ten guns fired, covering the plain with mutilated remains, in the midst of air tainted with the smell of burning flesh. These men, as Monsieur de Valbaisan says in his book called Nouvelles Études sur les Anglais et l'Inde, nearly all died with that heroic indifference which Indians know so well how to preserve even in the very face of death no need to bind me captain said a fine young sepoy twenty years of age to one of the officers present at the execution and as he spoke he carelessly stroked the instrument of death no need to bind me i have no wish to run away such was the first and horrible execution which was to be followed by so many others at the same time brigadier chamberlain published the following order to the native troops at lahore after the execution of two sepoys of the fifty-fifth regiment you have just seen two of your comrades bound to the cannon's mouth and blown to pieces this will be the punishment of all traitors your conscience will tell you what penalties they will undergo in the other world these two soldiers have been shot rather than hung on the gallows because i wish to spare them the pollution of the executioner's touch and prove thus that the government even at this crisis wishes to avoid everything that would do the least injury to your prejudices of religion and caste on the thirtieth of july one thousand two hundred thirty seven prisoners fell successively before firing platoons and fifty others only escaped to die of hunger and suffocation in the prisons in which they were shut up on the twenty eighth of august of eight hundred seventy sepoys who fled from lahore six hundred fifty nine were pitilessly massacred by the soldiers of the british army after the taking of delhi on the twenty-third of september three princes of the king's family the heir presumptive and his two cousins surrendered unconditionally to major hodson who brought them with an escort of five men only into the midst of a menacing crowd of five thousand hindus one against one thousand and yet half-way through hodson stopped the cart which contained his prisoners got into it ordered them to lay bare their breasts and then shot them all three with his revolver this bloody execution by the hand of an english officer says monsieur de Vabazon, excited the highest admiration throughout the punjab after the capture of delhi three thousand prisoners perished by shot or on the gallows and with them twenty nine members of the royal family the siege of delhi it is true had cost the besiegers two thousand one hundred fifty one europeans and one thousand six hundred eighty six natives at allahabad horrible slaughter was made not among the sepoys, but in the ranks of the humble population, whom the fanatics had almost unconsciously enticed to pillage. At Lucknow, on the 16th of November, two thousand sepoys were shot at the seconder and a space of one hundred twenty square yards was strewed with their dead bodies. At Kanpur, after the massacre, Colonel Neal obliged the condemned men, before giving them over to the gallows, to lick and clean with their tongues in proportion to their rank of caste, every spot of blood remaining in the house in which the victims had perished. To the Hindus, this was preceding death with dishonor. During the expedition into central India, executions were continual, and under the fire of musketry, walls of human flesh fell and perished on the earth. On the 9th of March, 1858, during the attack on the Yellow House, at the time of the Second Siege of Lucknow, after the decimation of the sepoys, it appears certain that one of these unfortunate men was roasted alive by the Sikhs under the very eyes of the English officers. On the 11th, the moats of the Begum's Palace at Lucknow were filled with sepoys' bodies, for the English could not restrain the rage that possessed them. In twelve days three thousand natives were slain, either hung or shot, including among them 380 fugitives on the island of Hydaspes who were escaping into Kashmir. In short, without counting the sepoys who were killed under arms during this merciless repression, in which no prisoners were made, in the Punjab only not less than 628 natives were shot or bound to the cannon's mouth by order of the military authorities, 1,370 by order of the civil authority, 386 hung by order of both. At the beginning of the year 1859 it was estimated that more than 120,000 native officers and soldiers had perished and more than 200,000 civilian natives who paid with their lives for their participation often doubtful in this insurrection terrible reprisals these and perhaps on that occasion mr gladstone had some reason on his side when he protested so energetically against them in parliament it was important for the better understanding of our story that the death list on both sides should be given as above to make the reader comprehend the unsatiated hatred which still remained in the hearts of the conquered thirsting for vengeance as well as in those of the conquerors who ten years afterwards were still mourning the victims of Kanpur and lucknow as to the purely military facts of the campaign against the rebels they comprise the following expeditions which may be summarily mentioned to begin with sir john lawrence lost his life in the first punjab campaign then came the siege of delhi that central point of the insurrection reinforced by thousands of fugitives and in which Mohammed shah bahadur was proclaimed emperor of hindustan finish up delhi was the impatient order of the governor-general in his last despatch to the commander-in-chief and the siege begun on the night of the thirteenth of june was ended on the nineteenth of september after costing the lives of generals Sir Harry Barnard and John Nicholson. At the same time, after Nana Sahib had had himself declared Peshwar and been crowned at the castle fort of Bitur, General Havelock effected his march on Kanpur. He entered it the 17th of July, though too late to prevent the second massacre, or to seize the Nana, who managed to escape with five thousand men and forty pieces of cannon. Havelock then undertook a first campaign in the kingdom of Awud, and on the 28th of July he crossed the Ganges with 1,700 men and 10 cannon only, and proceeded towards Lucknow. Sir Colin Campbell and Major General Sir James Outram now appeared on the scene. The siege of Lucknow lasted 87 days, and during it Sir Henry Lawrence and General Havelock lost their lives. Then Sir Colin Campbell, after having been obliged to retire on Cawnpore, of which he took definite possession, prepared for a second campaign. During this time other troops captured Mohir, a town of central India, and made an expedition across the Molwa, which established the British authority in that kingdom. At the commencement of the year 1858, Campbell and Utram again marched on Lucknow, with four divisions of infantry, commanded by Major Generals Sir James Utram and Sir Edward Lugard, and Brigadiers Walpole and Franks. Sir Hope Grant led the cavalry, while Wilson and Robert Napier had other commands. The army consisting of about twenty five thousand men, which were joined by the Maharaja of Nepal with twelve thousand Gurkhas. But the rebel army numbered not less than one hundred twenty thousand men, and the town of Lucknow contained from seven hundred to eight hundred thousand inhabitants. The first attack was made on the sixth of March. On the 16th, after a series of combats, in which Major Hodson fell, and Sir William Peel, captain of H.M.S. Shannon, who was then commanding the naval brigade, was severely wounded, the English got possession of that part of the town situated on the left bank of the Gumti. Musabagh was cannonaded and captured by Sir James Outram and Sir Hope Grant on the 19th, and on the 21st, after a fierce struggle, the English took final possession of the city. In the month of April, an expedition was made into Rohukund, as a great number of the fugitive insurgents were there. Boreli, the capital of that kingdom, was the first object of the English, who were not at the outset very fortunate, as they suffered a sort of defeat at Jugdispur. Here also, Brigadier Adrian Hope was killed. But towards the end of the month, Campbell arrived, retook Shah Jahanpur, and on the 5th of May, attacking Boreli, he seized it, without having been able to prevent the rebels evacuating it. The Central India Field Force, under the command of Sir Hugh Rose, performed many gallant achievements. This general, in January 1858, marched through the kingdom of Bhopal, and relieved the town of Saugur, on the 3rd of February, which had been closely besieged since July 1857. Ten days after, he took the fort of Gurakota, forced the defiles of the Vindhya chain, crossed the Betwa, and arrived before Jhansi defended by 11,000 rebels, under the command of the savage Amazon Rani, invested this place on the 22nd of March in the midst of intense heat, detached 2,000 men from the besieging army to meet 20,000 men from Gwalior, led by the famous Tantiotopi, put this chief to the rout, and then assaulted the town on the 2nd of April, forced the walls, and seized the citadel, from which the Rani managed to escape." On the twenty-third of may the british advanced on kalpi and occupied it the rani and Tantiotopi having taken possession of gwalior sir hugh rose advanced upon that place an action took place at morar on the sixteenth of june and on the nineteenth another fierce contest in which the rebels were completely put to the rout and the central india field force returned to bombay in triumph the rani was killed in a hand-to-hand fight before gwalior this famous queen who was devoted to the nabob, and was his most faithful companion during the insurrection, fell by the hand of Sir Edward Munro. Nana Saheb, by the dead body of Lady Munro at Konpur, the Colonel, by the dead body of the Rani at Gwalior, represent the revolt and the suppression, and were thus made enemies whose hatred would find terrible vent if they ever met face to face. The insurrection might now be considered to be quelled, except in a few places in the kingdom of Awad. Campbell resumed the campaign on the 2nd of November, seized the last of the rebel places, and compelled several important chiefs to submit themselves. One of them, however, Beni Madho, was not taken. In December it was learnt that he had taken refuge in a neighboring district of Nepal. It was said that Nana Sahib, Balau Rao his brother, and the Begum of Awad were with him. Later it was reported that they had sought refuge across the Rapti, on the boundaries of the kingdoms of Nepal and Awad. Campbell pressed rapidly on, but they had crossed the frontier. In the beginning of February 1859, an English brigade, one of the regiments being under command of Colonel Monroe, pursued them into Nepal. Beni Madho was killed, the Begum of Awad and her son were made prisoners, and obtained permission to reside in the capital of Nepal. As to Nana Sahib and Balaw Rao, though for long they were thought to be dead, yet such was not the case. Thus the terrible insurrection was crushed. Tantiotopi, betrayed by his lieutenant Man Singh, and condemned to death, was executed on the 15th of April at Cypri. This rebel, this truly remarkable actor in the great drama of the Indian insurrection, says Monsieur de Valbazon, and one who gave proofs of a political genius full of resources and daring, died courageously on the scaffold this sepoy mutiny which might perhaps have lost india to the english if it had extended all over the peninsula and especially if the rising had been national caused the downfall of the honorable east india company on the first of november eighteen fifty eight a proclamation published in twenty languages announced that victoria queen of england would wield the scepter of india that country of which some years later she was to be crowned empress the governor now called viceroy a secretary of state and fifteen members composed the supreme government the governors of the presidencies of madras and bombay were henceforward to be nominated by the queen the members of the indian service and the commanders-in-chief to be chosen by the secretary of state such were the principal arrangements of the new government as to the military force the english army now contains seventeen thousand more men than before the sepoy mutiny the army in eighteen seventy six to seven numbered sixty four thousand nine hundred two european officers and men and one hundred twenty five thousand two hundred forty six native such is the actual state of the peninsula from an administrative and military point of view such the effective force which guards a territory of four hundred thousand square miles the English, says Monsieur Grandier, have been fortunate in finding in this large and magnificent country a gentle, industrious, and civilized people, who for long have been accustomed to a yoke. But they must be careful. Gentleness has its limits, and the yoke should not be allowed to bruise their necks, or they may one day rebel and cast it off. End of Book One, Chapter Three